I want to speak to you prophetically this morning, just something God's put in my heart for about six months, and I haven't felt the release to share it, but I have now. And so um, I'm going to pray, and I wonder if you could pray with me, because it's not a spectator sport, so it really isn't. We long for the church to become filled with people that genuinely know the Lord, genuinely know Him, relationship. And if we could pray, you're welcome to pray out loud. I might pray longer than you, but that's okay. Father, I thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you that this day I pray that we don't come with mild expectations, Lord. We come with an understanding, Lord, that you have callings that you want to give people. You want to meet people where they're at, Lord. You want to take them one step further. You want to call them. You want to anoint them. You want to change them. You want to transform them. And Lord, your word has all authority. All authority, God. And we approach your word and we just say, God, let your word become life. In our hearts, in our families, in our marriages, let it become life. Lord, no condemnation, but strong conviction. The power to change. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing with us, with this church. Just the healings, the hearts that are being drawn. Lord, we thank you for this nation. And Lord, you are not surprised. You are on your throne. And Father, we worship you because of, you, of your worth. Not because of what we can get. Because you are worthy. You are worthy. And Lord, you see the beginning from the end. And I pray that something of your greatness, something of your awesome authority would rest in people's hearts this morning. Pray, spirit of wisdom and revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I really feel today that there's some people that the call of God is going to come on you today, which we'll do later, which is wonderful. But I want to start by reading you something by Ian Bounds. I, I consider him an authority in prayer. Uh, he wrote 11 books. Yeah, he wrote 11 books, but only two of them were published while he was alive. And nine were published afterwards. And nine of his 11 books were on prayer. And uh, just an incredible man. So I want to read you something. It should come up behind you. We are constantly on a stretch, if not on a strain. This is in the 1800s he wrote this. To devise new methods, new plans, new organizations to advance the church and secure enlargement and efficiency for the gospel. Let me just stop and say this. He talks just men only. So women, just put that in there. It's 1800s. So the Catherine Kuhlmans and Amy Semple McPherson's hadn't come and changed our thinking. So... Just add that in. This trend of the day, I like, I like that, 1800s, trendy. The trend of the day has a tendency to lose sight of the man, or rather to sink the man amidst the plan or organization. God's plan is to make much of the man, far more of him than of anything else. Men are God's methods. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The scripture. The dispensation that heralded and prepared the way for Christ was bound up in that man, John. When Paul appeals to the personal character of the men who rooted the gospel to this world, he solves the mystery of their success. The glory and efficiency of the gospel is stacked on the men who proclaim it. The scriptures say, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf, that's in them, 
of them whose heart is perfect. That just means loyal and at peace uh, toward him. When God declares this, he declares the necessity of men and his dependence upon them as a channel through which to exert his power upon the world. This vital, urgent truth is one that this modern age of machinery is apt to forget. The forgetting of it is as baneful on the work of God as would be the striking of the sun from its sphere. Darkness, confusion, and death would ensue. What the church needs today, it's true now today too, is not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer and women of prayer. His plans don't change. It's true. It's true. And so I want to speak to you this morning. The title of the message is Come With Me. If you could go to 1 Kings 17, we're going to do a prophetic message this morning. It's something that I believe is for the church in this hour, really all over, not just for us. But I believe that there's, there's truths that we, we know, that we think we know, that God is wanting to root so deep in us that they begin to transform us. The gospel should transform. It's not something, it's not intellectual. So we're going to go to 1 Kings 17. I actually heard a gentleman, this was the title of his sermon uh, many years ago, and I just saw the title, and it just pierced my heart. And I never went and listened to the message. But just the title pierced my heart, and that brought me to this chapter. 1 Kings 17 says this, And Elijah, I'm going to read it out of the King James just in the beginning. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord of God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, get away from here, is what it means, and turn eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before the Jordan. 1 Kings 18 verse 1 And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying Go show thyself unto Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. And the title of the message I saw many years ago was simply hide thyself, show thyself. And I understood what he meant. It's Jesus in Hebrews is said to be our great apostle and high priest and there's many names of Christ, but I really believe it's because you have to go in. You have to go into the secret place. Then he sends you out. And it's something that I believe God is calling and drawing people back to. Is he's calling their hearts. And he's calling their hearts. I see it all over the world, but I see it even in our region in, in many of you. We've been talking about it. That God is drawing the hearts and it's like hide thyself. Then show thyself. And there's something that comes in between those two. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So what actually happened here, I'll do a little bit of teaching, a little bit of explaining. Elijah makes a declaration. There shall be no more dew or rain, and my God lives. And the declaration that he makes is from the Lord. How many of you know sometimes God will, in a sense, speak through you and you make a declaration, but you know you're not yet ready to perform what, he, what you've just said? Sometimes God will speak even through a person or through you and you declare something and you think, Lord, that's way beyond me. I pray that that begins to happen to you. 
Because God is so faithful to His Word, He will then take you and form you and change you to be able to then be positioned to perform what you've just said. That's exactly what happens here to Elijah. What is going on here is holiness. And it's, it's, a, it's a bad word in some places in church because they think legalism, they think a ritual without power, without relationship. But holiness is a beautiful, wonderful thing. Holiness is honeymoon, really. It's to be set apart. It's to go away with. And people think holiness means perfection, and it's not that. And I really sense in my heart that holiness is something God is wanting to re- re-examine with His people. But only He can turn the heart. No discipline can do that for you. You can try, but it gets difficult. It gets difficult because it has to be Him that turns the heart. And the reason being is most people don't understand the why of holiness. They have these bad connotations. But the genuine why you see in songs, Song of Songs. The voice of my beloved, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. That's holiness. It's a love issue. It's to come away. It's not to go and deal with sin. It's not that may be the end, but the means is love. Come away with me. I want to show you who I am. Because that's the only thing that changes hearts. It's God's pursuit of you. Friends, we have to understand it's the only, I don't like calling it a religion, it's not, it's a relationship, but it's the only faith in the world where the God pursues the subject. Yes. God's pursuit of you. And we think that minimizes him, doesn't it? It's God's, he's the hound of, he pursues you, he pursues your heart. And that's what holiness genuinely is. In Mark 6 it says, then because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat. That's Northern Virginia. Who knows busyness? Real busy, right? They did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me. Come with me. By yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. That's holiness. And he calls and he draws. So what's actually happening here is Elijah makes some declarations and it's a direct confrontational challenge to a king and a lot of people don't know that because they don't maybe know the details but he says this as the God of Israel lives there shall be no, he lives and there shall be no more dew no more rain the belief it's an ancient Canaanite belief and it came all the way through I might say Baal I might say Baal it's because there's two countries inside of me but they mean the same thing just in case you think they're different gods they mean the same thing the old Canaanite belief was that Baal was actually the god of rain and dew and provision. And he was the one who would determine that. And so when Elijah stands and makes that declaration, it's a direct challenge. Baal is not God. And when the dry season comes, because every other type of supernatural has to use things that they see to explain they have to change it to match it according to what they see so what would they would believe is that once a year <laughs> so silly Baal would submit to Mot the god of death and he would like die that was the dry season so they had to explain that so he would die and submit to the god of death and then at the end he would be resurrected 
which is a, a mockery of what's coming. And then rain and dew would come on the earth again. So Elijah comes and says, my God lives. He's not subject to death. And there will be no more rain or dew until I say so. It's a direct challenge. We need some Elijahs again. We really do, friends. People that know God. People that know their God. Elijah's name means, my God is Yahweh. Baal means Lord or husband. And the root word of Baal actually means to marry. It's a false Christ. Christ, the husband of God's people. They had sold out the coming Christ for Baal. They had married him. So that's just what's going on. It's actually pretty terrible. So, what does God say? And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith. Hide yourself, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. A little bit more teaching, and then we'll because it's important to understand the context. Eastward of where he was, was an inhabitable, unhospitable place. You could not live there. You can go do the research. You couldn't live there. And he says, go to this place. He says, but I know that there's a brook there. Now, a brook is one of two things. A brook is not a lovely little river like we think. The original meaning for brook was either a bubbling brook. Who's heard the phrase bubbling brook? Because it was either from a spring, which was a nice, gentle, from underneath, or it was a torrent which was the, the, the like a, almost like not a flash flood because it was clean water, but the slow melt and dew and rain on a mountain which would come down a mountain with force. This one is torrent. It says, it says that in the Hebrew. And he says, there's a, you're going to go into a place where there's actually nothing and there's going to be water there. That's what brook means. It flows from a mountain. The English dictionary says it's an outpouring. How's that? They don't even know what they're saying. It's an outpouring. Cherith is to cut, means cutting. It comes from the root word berith, which is covenant. It's where we will cut covenant, you and I. And which is before, or that flows into the Jordan, that phrase is actually the word for presence. A name, the, the presence of God. And Jordan is to sender. So what God is actually saying, because in Hebrew, who knows that in Hebrew names are a big deal. So he knows this man knew what God's saying. We don't, but he does. And he's saying this, conceal yourself in the secret place. A place where few have dwelt. And there I will pour out upon you, I will descend, that's Jordan. I will descend upon you with my presence and you and I will cut covenant. That's what he says to Elijah. It was not to fast. It was not to deal with sin issues. It's the holiness thing. It's set yourself apart in a place where I determine. Very important. Set yourself apart in a place where I determine. It's not to deal with issues in the heart. How do I know that? He was being doubly blessed. Because in the, in the wilderness, the Israelites were given meat and bread once a day. He was given meat and bread twice a day. He understands as a Hebrew person that's a double portion. Which is probably what led him to give that to Elijah. I know he couldn't do it. But that it was in him. He was getting twice what they got in the desert. 
It wasn't to deal with issues. It wasn't God. You know, some people say, you know, God's setting me apart because I'm such a mess. Well, sometimes that's true. But, but, you know, we have this negative connotation. God wants you to come away with me. Come away with me, my lover. Come away with me. I want to reveal me. I want to reveal myself to you. I want you to know who I am. And so few people really know the Lord. <laughs> that's what he says to Elijah. You've just proclaimed something that I told you, but you can't do it yet. So come to me, and I will change you. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. It's in the following. So he says, come. I'm going to take you away, you and I. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you. I'm going to descend upon you. I'm going to pour out on you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. And some of you are there right now. That's what, who's feeling the draw in your heart? We've been saying, how many people, put your hands up real quick. It's like never before. This is what's happening. He's trying to take you to your cherith. He's saying there's a place for you and me that's for nobody else. And there I will descend upon you. That's encounter. But we say what that should look like and what that should mean and that just, it doesn't go well when you do that. How does it start? It says, get away from here. <laughs> get away from here and turn eastward. Friends, wherever you're standing, move move. It starts, it, it, it's not just, yes, there's a drawing of God, but then there's a response. He says, get away. There's that initial, I'm going to move. I'm going to go from where I am, not physically, in your heart or physically, I'm moving towards Him. And one step is sometimes all it takes. We, we partner with God in this process. And that's our choice. He says, get away. Elijah could have said no. Well, then there's no chariot for him. Then there's no brook. So he says, move, Elijah. And I said to some of you, God is saying to you, move. Go. Come. And we have to, in a sense, make that decision. Friends, I believe with all my heart, when we find that personal place with the Lord, discipline will turn to desire. For many years of my own life, it was a discipline of prayer. But now it's my favorite thing in all the world. It genuinely is. You can ask my wife. Because he's everything. But that initial, and so, for some of us, we have this thing of, well, you know, I'm not like that person. He goes and prays for four hours. And you have this expectation, which is absolutely unrealistic. You have a two-hour commute. That's a good opportunity. You know, it's, we have these unrealistic 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Just move. That's enough. And let God. And then He will move you again. And he, and he will call you closer. Because as He reveals Himself to you, the lies that you have in your head about Him will remove you, will remove, they will go away, and then you will come closer. And closer. And closer. But move. That is an actual choice. It's a choice. I'm going to move toward Him. How you do that, I cannot give you lists because then we become methodical and it kills the very life that God's trying to bring learn me I wrote I am pursuing you let's go to verse 4 it says this we're going to read from 4 to 7 and it will be that you shall drink from the brook you know the word drink there means to be drunk you drink until you're saturated 
from him. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook. That word stayed is abide in Hebrew. He stayed by the brook, Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. He drank from the brook, brook, there it is again. He drank, to drink in deep. Taste and see that the Lord, he is good. To drink from the Lord. Joshua would stay in the tent when Moses would leave. There's a generation that God right now is busy raising up that is called to remain. And, and because of the great culture of instant gratification, I believe it's genuinely from the enemy. Because there's a, there's a secret, there's an ability, there's a skill in learning to abide. And it doesn't come natural to the human soul. It's something you learn. And when a person's microwave generation, it's going to remove them from that process. It's very important. So he says, well, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, which we'll get into in a moment. There are certain lessons that I'm not going to go into them. I'm just going to just kind of give you some points because I actually want to speak about the next thing. Lessons, I call them lessons at the brook. Lessons at the place where you begin to know God. Not know about Him, not know the Scriptures. Scriptures is a major part of it, but they knew the Bible off by heart when Christ came. And the very people who were supposed to point Him out, the Pharisees, the people who knew the, the Word of God by heart, they were the ones who were supposed to say, that's Him. He stood and said, you cannot even see me. You don't know me. And God is shifting that again. I can feel it in the nation. He's shifting it. He's calling a people back, saying, come back to my heart, not your mind, your heart. And that's why Elijah, because he put the hearts of the children to the father and the father to the children. And it's that thing he's bringing back. He's bringing it back very strongly. I never used to cry. I cry every day. I really, it's ridiculous. Really, I've chatted to the Lord about it. It's really ridiculous. I'll go to the supermarket and I'll see someone and God will speak and then I'm crying. You know, it's the heart. It's knowing God. There's certain lessons we can learn at the brook. Firstly, routine. Routine. It brought him in the morning and in the evening. You know those books you read about those great guys, Smith Wigglesworth, and they just like flow, you know? It's like, my goodness, how can... They just, eh, just walk and pray and, you know, throw out some fire over there and beauty. It's like... But you know, you don't see the 30 years of routine. You don't see that. It's not there. That's all their best stories. And unfortunately, routine, devotions, that, that came death to certain, for a whole generation that was so heavily hit. But nevertheless, you take a little baby. The best thing you can do for that baby in the natural is give it a routine. It's the same in the spirit. Same thing. He was teaching that to Elijah. He taught him to abide. He says he went and abided by the brook. He taught him who his husband really is. Who's the husband of the bride? You learn that at the brook. You learn that in a deep place with the Lord where there is no other person. No one there. No one around. The busyness. And in this area, busyness is so difficult. It's so difficult. And you learn that you are God's possession. The root word for brook actually means to inherit your possession. 
God will take you to a place in your own heart when he says, I'm going to descend upon you and you think it's going to bless you. And it is, and that's wonderful. But what I'm actually doing is I'm snatching you and making you mine, fully mine. You belong to me. And that is the most free place you can ever be. And that's what it, he flows upon you and you, the natural response is, God, I just want you. I don't want any, I don't even want your gifts. It's, yes, I have them, but really, I just want you. Then you're his possession. That's what it actually means in the Hebrew. He will take you and make you his. Oh, you are mine. I am my beloved's, and he is mine. That's the brook. But then, verse 7. Let me actually just read you something. I wrote this. The value for what it means for God to draw a person aside is immensely low. The value is immensely low in the Western world because it's another added thing that we have to do. But that's not in the heart of God at all. There's a value that comes when you see something, when you taste something. And that value determines your choice to move. It cannot be put on you. It cannot be. The Bible says, and I see this all over the world, it says, when worship, for worship to become vain, just on the lips, and for the word of God to become numb to the heart, it says there's one thing that will do that. When, the, when you teach the fear of God by the commandment of men, you need to fear God. Friends, the only way you can genuinely fear God is because you've met Him and you know Him. You can't teach that to someone. Think about the churches all over the world drilling young people. You need to fear God. Well, they don't know Him. Hello? Yeah, that's what happens. But then this verse happens. It says this, And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Panic. Absolute panic. You've been going with the Lord. Things are happening. It's wonderful. And I've always come. The Lord's always spoke to me like this. The Lord's always the. It's always just, oh, it's a beautiful place. And then suddenly, nothing. And we all think it's us. We think, oh, I'm a sinner. I'm terrible. I'm awful. I must do something, so I pray harder, and I worship harder. The great thing is if you stay there for a while, you'll develop tenacity and endurance, which is, I will use that later. But we're like, well, now I'm going to pray for four hours. Now I'm going to pray for five hours. And you may get some breakthrough, but the brook is gone. Who knows what I'm talking about? It's gone. And we think it's us. God's like, no. I, I'm going here now. He's moving you. He's trying to take you somewhere else. And he wants to teach you something else, but you're there. It's, it's, not a, it's not an issue with you. It's just an issue with our ears. And that's where other people are extremely helpful, a prophetic culture. I feel the Lord's doing this in your life. Oh, thank you. Simple. That's what happens. It says, verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose, I think it's there, yes. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and he came to the gate of the city, and indeed a, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. It's interesting, because she, she does that, and she gets blessed. You know the story. What does the Bible say? If you bring a cup of water to one of my servants, you will reap a reward. He says, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah three times. First, hide yourself. The word of the Lord came, go hide yourself. At the end, the word of the Lord came, go show yourself. 
This is the thing in the middle. It says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. He says, go to Zarephath. You know what Zarephath means? Refinery. Everyone's like, let's take that out of the story. Let's just go from hide to show, from hide to show. Friends, you know, it's so important because people think, I'm just going to come out of the secret place and God so descended upon me. Who's experienced this? And Josh is laughing. You've experienced And I've experienced this because I grew up with people who knew how to minister. And so you come out of the secret place and God's upon you and you meet someone you don't like. And everything that's just happened is gone. And you're like, I really don't like that person. You know what I'm saying? That's what happens. Why? Because there's been no refinery. Alone with God on the mountain, the servant of God in public, there has to come a time where you learn to deal with people. That's in the middle. Very, very important. And it says this, which belongs to Sidon. I love you all. If you're thinking it was you, it's not. Which belongs to Sidon. Sidon means hunting. And it actually means hunting in the sense of catching fish. What's that? Discipleship. Because it was a coastal region. And Jezebel's father, his name was Ethbal, means of Baal. It's very interesting. And he was the king of Sidon. And Sidon was the stronghold of Baal. The very thing that Elijah's challenged. So God sends him into the very epicenter of what's going on. The very epicenter. And the person he's challenged, his wife Jezebel, who was the real power there behind the throne, her father is the king of this place. Yeah, trouble. Trouble, trouble. There comes trouble. That's actually what they called him. Here comes the troubler of Israel. So that's what happens. Now, as we follow Christ, he will send us at times into a situation, into the world. Why? Because that's our mission field. And there are certain lessons he wants to teach us there. And we need to keep going back to the brook. I understand that. But there's certain lessons he wants to teach us there. Some people so love the secret place. That's, I'm one of these people. I could just live there. I really could. I'm, me and the Lord, let's fly, I'm happy. Just a prophetic nature in me. But there's times that he has to teach you to carry something around other people because they're the point. Really, you know, there's the mission. Disciples. So what happens? What does he teach? What, does he, what do we learn? Lessons in Zarephath. Extremely important lessons, and they're there to refine us. I really believe these things that I'm going to quickly list out, they're not, it's not exhaustive, but I believe with all my heart, it's the things that God is wanting to reteach His people. Right now. He's wanting to reteach the people. Because it's, we know it, we can say it, but God's saying, I want it to become real to you. Genuinely real. The first is overcoming the world. <laughs> Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and abide there. You abide it there by the brook, now I want you to abide here in the world. Friends, God takes us from a place of alone with Him, where it's really easy. That's, you know, the monks, the original monks, Antonio, Horatio, all those guys. When they left, they said, this is not God's order. This is not God's plan. We are leaving because of the corruption, so we're going to restore a record. Please do not do what we did. And now we have monks. They said, please don't do this. It's not the point. It's like people like, you know, <laughs> I've heard some young people say, I just, you know, literally I've heard young people say, I don't sin that much. It's just, I'm just. And I want to ask them, are you ever around other people? Because that will test some things. Because the point is, we have to learn to live under a stronghold 
Baal, that was the stronghold. We have to learn to not live under it, but we have to learn to dwell there in the area, in the world, until it has absolutely no effect on you. That's the point. He says, I'm going to take you here, and when this doesn't affect you anymore, then you can become an answer for those who it does. And the chief thought, the chief uh, revelation that comes into a person's heart is what? I'm not from here. My citizenship is in heaven. He told me that on the mountain. So I'm not actually from here. I know what that's like when I first arrived here, which is now, I don't know, 12 years ago. Why do you, you know, the questions, why do you think like that? I don't think like that. I don't speak like that. I don't do things like that. That's a kingdom person. You're in the world, but you're looking at people like, I don't think like you. I don't talk like you. I don't, I don't do what you do. There's, you and me, we're, it's not I'm better. I'm just different because I'm not from here. I literally was not born here. I was born again of another kingdom. So I'm not actually from here. And when the world loses its grip on you, when, when the people in the church are as fascinated by the world, please don't hear this heavy. Don't, please. It's freedom. It's truth that sets you free. When people are, their affections are gripped by the world as much as the world is the church, we cannot become an answer. And so God takes you to the mountain to snatch the affection of your heart. Because it's not freedom, friends. It's not freedom. Trust me. I've tried, and many of you probably have. It's not freedom to have great discipline. It's important, but it's not freedom. To say, I'm not doing that because it's no, I know it's bad. Look at me. I'm so good. Yeah, that doesn't end well. Self-righteousness, the law of knowledge of sin, and everything. You, you're fighting yourself, really, is what it is. Freedom is, I don't want to do that because I have no desire for that. And only God can do that. Your spouse cannot do that. Although sometimes we want to. But we cannot, no one can do that to another person. That's genuine freedom. I have no interest in that. I see like he sees. I think like he thinks. Everything's changed because I know where I'm from. I know where I'm going. That's what it said about Jesus in John 13. When you wash the people's feet. It says, Jesus, knowing where he was from and knowing where he's going, served humanity. It's the same for you and me, friends. I know where I'm from. I know where I'm going so I can become an answer and I can serve the most broken people because I'm not fascinated by what they're fascinated with. Overcome the world. <laughs> Second is to break the boxes. What did he say? I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. That's on the brook. Then he said, I've commanded a widow to feed you there. To provide for you, he actually said. Why is that so important? A raven to the Jewish people was an unclean bird. They weren't allowed to come into contact and all those things. This woman was a Gentile woman. <laughs> I see it happening right now, everywhere I go, that God is smashing boxes that we've put him in. In order for us to go as a church, as an individual, as a nation, as whatever, as an organization, as a movement, I just prophetically, I know this to be true. This is what God is doing. He's smashing the boxes we put him in. He's saying to Elijah, Elijah, I have people tucked away you don't know. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm outside of your Jewish world, buddy. That's what he's saying to Elijah. I'm outside of your, you've done this to me. I'm way bigger than that. 
So I'm going to speak to you and deal with you outside of your box. Because I need you to understand something of who I am really. So that you can deal with what's coming. He's outside of your box. Your charismatic box. Your Baptist box. Your Pentecostal box. Your American box. South African box. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, friend. He's big. And he has power. And all authority. He measures the stars by the breadth of his palm. And we just... This is God. He will not be boxed by his creation anymore. Every time I pray and I'm just sharing my heart with you, I keep hearing the Lord just in my heart. It's not an anger, but it's, a, it's like there's too many God experts. I keep hearing that. Too many people who, this God will do this, this, this. Really? <laughs> the whole description of our age, the present evil age, not the age to come, the whole description is that we see in part. <laughs> we put him in a box. So he will take you into a situation in the world and teach you things that are way outside of your paradigm. Very, very, very important. Let's go back to scripture. And she was going to get it. That's the cup of water. Isn't that amazing? She's going to go get something. She's just about to go starve to death with her child. She's still serving. There's a free lesson. And she was going to get it. And he called her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread, uh, morsel of bread in your hand. So she said... As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and, go and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make for me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household, she and he and her household, ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Two more lessons out of that, then we have one more, then we'll land. And Zarephath, the Lord wants to teach you to partner with God. See, when you're in the secret place on, by the brook, when you're when you by the brook, it's wonderful. What happened? He got both finished products. The bread was done. It's ready. It's nice and hot. Maybe some butter. No, I'm just kidding. But it came finished. Everything done for you. Here we go. In a refinery, in a smelter's fire, where you're learning to become separate, you're learning what that is, to live in both worlds in a sense. You, you, you know what I mean by that. You're learning that. He says, I will give you the raw ingredients. I need to learn, I need you to teach you to partner with me to make something. It's not just going to arrive bread now. You're going to take the flour, you're going to take the oil, you're going to make something. You and me, we're going to learn to work together, to co-labor. Before I did it for you and I gave it to you. Like a child. Now, we're going to do this together. But what's interesting is before in the brook, when he does it for you, it's this time and this time here whenever you want whenever you want it's the flour Holy Spirit the oil you put them together and you have the bread of heaven Christ whenever you want an unlimited supply because the brook ran out it says the oil and flour never runs out 
He's teaching us to partner with God for revelation. He's teaching us you can go as high as you want, son. But learn to partner with me. Learn to walk with me. This is what causes, this right here, is what causes the world to lose its attractiveness. We're going to read just quickly to the end so we can just make some comments. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying. And he laid him out on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. And we know what happened. And he brought him down, gave it to the mother. And she said, I now know that the, the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. I mean, if the word of the Lord is truth, but does it have truth in your mouth? There's a difference. The next thing I want to share with you is a little bit more difficult. <laughs> it's fielding accusation directed at you and at God amidst another's crisis. It's a big lesson in the refinery. Something happens that people don't understand happens a lot because we live in a fallen world and it breaks all their boxes their theology that this and it, we don't understand it either the pastors are honest they would tell you I don't know but they accuse the man of God or the person of God and God it's a very high privilege please hear me it's a very high privilege to feel that accusation because it reveals that you've met him and he trusts you that's what it reveals I was I've been there, friends, when we knew of a young girl that died and I'm praying for her body. I remember the mother's cries, please bring my daughter back for an hour and a half. I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> but you meet him differently. When that starts, stuff starts to happen, friends, God is doing something powerful in your heart because you become, you don't have to apologize for God, but it no longer shapes your perspective of Him. Even when you don't understand, it no longer shapes you in a bad way. You just, you can worry, God, you are good. You are good. When you get to feel that, what have I, to, she blamed him, what have I to do with you? She said, what do you have against me? That's what it means. I think the NIV says that. Oh man of God, question mark. And he, friends, he didn't understand this at all. Before he said, oh, the Lord says it won't run out. He responded with a gift because she was going to die. Now he says nothing. He said, don't be afraid. There's no... Now he says, give me your son. He had no answer. He didn't know what to say. He's beyond his depth. Very, very important. Very. She thought, and he, it actually says, have you also brought tragedy now on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? Question mark. Very important question mark. I've looked at the commentaries. Why? Either he was angry at God because he thinks God did it, or he didn't know. Which means he's revealing, he's learning. There's stuff about you that you don't teach up there. He was out of his depth. 
He didn't know what to do, and he was Elijah. That gives me some comfort. Yeah. The Bible says he was a man with a nature just like ours. He didn't know what to do. Then, the last point, I'll just go over it. Overcome the world. It ends with you overcome the enemy. Why? Who does he face next? Death. The God of Mot. He overcome Baal by a gift. That's the flower and the oil. He just uh, prophesied. He's a prophet. He prophesied. Uh, the Lord says this. Boom. And he overcomes Baal right there. Why? Because Baal was due and to make crops to... He said, he dealt with that straight away. You'll have wa- uh, flour and oil. Don't worry about it. That's, he overcame Baal, just like that. If my God doesn't need rain, he'll just do it. Now he faces the one who stands behind Baal. Mod, death. And he's never experienced that before. So the Bible says he began to cry out to the Lord. And later it says, and the Lord said, the Lord heard. You know, in the Hebrew motive, the scriptural motive, this is from a commentary of crying out and being heard, is a Hebrew theme that emphasizes intimacy and fellowship above doctrine. What the scripture is telling us, there's certain battles that you fight that no matter how gifted you are, no matter how much power you have in gifts, in knowledge and doctrine it will not move unless you know him intimately that's what Elijah is learning he could only move that through intimacy through time the value of the brook of Cherith that's what moves the one behind and I believe that's what Jesus is meaning when he says this kind only comes out by it's not a structure that it comes out for them that know God. Why? Because when you know him, friends, that's authority. Because even the demons know his name and shudder. That's the lessons we learn in the refinery. Then, we know what happens. He finds victory. And what does he say? I'll just read it, actually. I think I have it somewhere. 1 Kings 18. It says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah, in the third year, the New Testament says it was exactly three or six months. Go show yourself to Ahab. Go hide yourself. Go refine yourself. And go show yourself. Mm. It's a powerful chapter. Everyone loves 1 Kings 18, where he overcomes the prophets and the, the veil and the fire from heaven. It's awesome. Wouldn't have happened without 1 Kings 17. right wouldn't have happened if you will keep following the Lord he will keep making encounter equip and engage it's the same I will send ravens in private I will send a widow when it's just in process there's just one or two I will teach you with one or two you have to learn to deal with people that are struggling and then I will send rain. That's the Spirit of God in public. This never changes for God's people. Never. And He's calling us back to that place first. 